Hello, everybody. So this is the fourth episode of Costa Mesa Now, our podcast that we are doing at the Costa Mesa City Hall at our beautiful new podcast facilities. And I'm really happy to be joined today by Manuel Chavez. Manuel Chavez is the council member for uh, the great District 4. So we're going to learn a bit about Manuel. We're going to learn about District 4. And our guest today is Dr. Wesley Smith. Dr. Uh, Wesley Smith was uh, uh, hired in, uh, I think it was September, but started in October of 2021. And he's the superintendent of our Newport Mesa School District. We're very happy to have him here at City Hall. We're going to talk to him today about his background and and uh, his impressions of the district and things that he's doing and things that are happening in the district. So it's going to be a fun uh, podcast. And uh, let's start it off by me turning to Manuel and learning a little bit more about him. So uh, Manuel Chavez, it, what I uh, what I say about him is he is the most lovable council member in the history of Costa Mesa. And and Wes, no one has ever disputed that. that I, I, so I'm gonna change it to, he's the undisputed most lovable council member in the history of Costa Mesa. And so we're really happy to have you here as the co-host today. So we have all these districts now. You're in District 4. Uh, let's start by just kind of setting the scene. I mean, where's District 4? Yeah. And, and, and tell about your district. And, and the other thing I want you to talk about is, is your connection to the district. Because of all the council members, mm. I think Manuel is rooted in his district more than any of the other council members, in addition to being, as I said, the most lovable council member. So talk about your district and your background in it. Of course. Well, hello, everyone. Nice to see you all hearing us today. Um, I'm Manuel Chavez. Uh, I represent the great, great heart of Wasekwa Mesa in District 4. Um, in a nutshell, the district is south of the golf course. Uh, east of Harbor, west of Placentia, and north of uh, uh, 17th Street, with a few little caveats and divots. Um, that's really my home where I grew up. So when I was growing up and, and, and attending our great schools here in Costa Mesa, my mom had a, had, a, had, a, had a boundaries for me. She said, hey, you can go anywhere you want in Costa Mesa as long as you're within these four streets, Placentia, Harbor, 19th Street, and the golf course. So that was my little stomping ground for a couple years of my life. So. Um, I feel really attached to my district for that reason. A lot of the things that I, I, I saw growing up that we could address, we kind of have been addressing. Um, but the important thing about me and my district is that we have two great schools, two great public schools in my district, uh, Pomona, Pomona Elementary and Rail Elementary School. Two schools that I both attended and two schools that my family has ties to because my mom used to be the noon duty uh, at Pomona for the breakfast and my stepdad, Alfredo, is still a custodian at Rail Elementary School. So. For me, not only am I a part of my district, but I've been shaped a lot in part by the teachers and community in, the, in those two schools in my district. And so you went Ray, Ray, and then Pomona, and then and then did you go to where'd you go to middle school? Yeah, so actually it's a little reverse. So okay. back in the day, uh, Pomona was kinder through 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 third, so I was there after Head Start. So Head Start first, then Pomona, and then Ray Elementary School was half the kids from Pomona and half the kids from Whittier. So I was there from fourth to sixth. After that, I went, to, I went to T. Winkle Middle School for two years, and then I went to Sancia. That's great. See, so a real product of the, of the district. Yeah, well, and that's what you hear a lot of people talk about. Uh, one of the observations I've made is that people, if they're from here, they don't leave, and if they come here, they don't leave. 
because they really, really care about the community. Folks stay here to be a part of it, and you're a great example of, of the why for so many of our residents, you know, parents who support us or community members who support us. So yet another one of those stories. It's totally true. And like, you know, where I grew up in San Gabriel, and, and, uh, and it's true, I think, as I'm looking back, well, Lauren Gamaros, he grew up to a, a bit in Costa Mesa. Of course, Arliss, obviously. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us are, you know, moved here and grew up other places. And where I grew up in San Gabriel, there are very few people that grew up there that, are, that made their home there yeah. uh, long term. Costa Mesa is exactly the opposite, as you point out. I mean, people are raised here and they stay here. And almost uniformly, if they don't, they want to. Yeah. 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 So one of the things we're doing, we're going to get into you, I promise, uh, Wes. In a no, second. let's talk but, about Manny all day. Yeah, <laughs> no, one of the things we're doing at the city is we're doing this first-time homebuyers program. Yeah. And so we're taking um, the one-half of, of a percent of our cannabis tax, and we're putting it toward a first-time homebuyers program. And the idea is people who are Costa Mesa residents or who went to the public or private schools will be able to tap into that and it'll help them buy a home because it's, even though it's the aspiration for a lot of people to stay in the community, one of our biggest problems now, um, not just in Costa Mesa, but regionally and throughout the state is affordable housing and yep. being able to afford those houses. That's right, especially families. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, um, you, we we did our had a budget meeting yesterday. Mm -hmm. We had a budget budget study session. It was really it's, the budget process is really quite a thing. You know, you learn a lot about the city and what's going on and all the different departments. But I want you to share, Manuel, what you shared with us yesterday about how there are are really th the, the other thing about Manuel is he's very like very laser focused about the three things that you really wanted to get out of the budget and how we got, we were able to achieve two of them and we're gonna work on the third. Yeah, so first of all, I have to always commend our city staff for, for um, being responsive to when the council has a suggestion or concern. But um, recently, my, my district was canvassed by a few nonprofit groups mm -hmm. and I had a chance to look at the data and, and talk to um, residents as well. And there's three things that they really need help with. Um, Obviously, they always have mentioned education. It's a big one. It's always a big thing. But they mentioned safety. They mentioned that they want to see um, more more safety. So they, they mentioned that they they feel like they've done a good job with homelessness, but they still want to make sure that they call the police, someone comes, call fire, someone comes. I feel like, I feel like we're doing a good job with that and hiring more officers and more firefighters. I mean, even today, we saw interviews for, for firefighters. Yes. So I feel like we're moving in that, in that goal. The second thing they said was they wanted more park access. Um, also, two things we're doing in my district is we're trying to uh, expand both parks we have in Kitchenland Kitchen Island Park, which is already in the budget to be expanded, and then we're beginning conversations for Shalimar Park um, in, in the south of my district to expand that park as well. Um, we'll put a pin on that for collaboration with school districts down the line. But the big thing that people are talking about is um, the, the cost of living increasing. Yeah. And you know, in my district, I'm very unique because I have a majority renters. And a lot of those, those, those students that are in those households that rent go to our public schools. And what, what people were telling me and telling the, the canvassers was they are struggling to pay the rent, and that's leading to struggling to, to spend time with the kids, struggling to spend time um, providing food, and you know, 
the thing that I want to see staff doing, which they're already doing and they're going to do more of, is showcase more of the resources we have available to the community who are renters and put some funds from the budget to an allocated fund for rent relief. Because I remember my time growing up um, in Costa Mesa and I was very lucky that my parents both had two good jobs and that was never an issue for me to have food on the table. And even then, going to school was hard sometimes, you know, being a primarily Spanish-speaking household. I can only imagine some of these other kids in our, in our city or in our school district who are learning English as they go to school but are struggling with other issues like home security and food security. So right. for me, it's very important to make sure I'm the voice for those communities because they often don't speak up in meetings. One thing we're doing, Wes, and I want to talk, I'm going to get to you and I'm going to talk to you about this topic. Let's just, as the jumping off point, but uh, as a city, the council has asked the staff to kind of amass all of our resources, the federal resources, look at what, what we can do with our city resources to try to help, as Manuel said, with kind of gap rental assistance. Just to, because one of our, uh, one of our city goals is housing stability and to keep people in their homes and keep people, you know, sheltered. So, Let's talk about that, about like, you know, you, you came from, we're going to go over your background in a second, but you came from, as pri previously you were a, a superintendent in Morgan Hill in Santa Clara County in a very uh, high-end um, uh, uh, city and, and school district. Now you come to Newport Mesa and what, do you, what are your thoughts on coming to a, a district where you do, as Manuel said, have students that their parents are really struggling to, to make ends meet and struggling to put food on the table. And so, you know, what, what, have you, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, first, you mentioned that the budget process is interesting, and I, I agree, absolutely. I also think that um, budgets are a statement of values, mm -hmm. and that's what I heard when I heard you speaking. I've, some of my mentors have, have told me before, don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value, right? And so uh, I, I think that's key and, and those, those priorities that you just stated represent uh, at least your and hopefully the whole council's values. I think what's interesting about your question is that Morgan Hill people say, you know, it's Santa Clara County, Silicon Valley, um, bedroom community for the Silicon Valley. Uh, it was all affluent families. And the interesting fact is that it's very, very similar within two or three percentage points in comparison to Newport Mesa Unified, mm. right? Same number within two or three points of low socioeconomic families, of English language learners, of Latinx community members. So we had those folks who were executives in Silicon Valley, but we also had the folks who were working agricultural throughout uh, the valley. Um, and, and so what, what I found there, I find here. Right. Uh, folks who want to be a part of their community, who love their community, and who need some assistance. Uh, we had teachers who couldn't afford to live in Morgan Hill because they were priced out. Uh, and think about the peninsula there. Mm -hmm. Similarly here, we have educators who can't afford to live in our community. Uh, they certainly can't afford to live uh, near the beach, yeah. uh, Corona del Mar, how are they going to afford that? And so if our professional educators can't afford to live in our community, how are our families um, who maybe don't make that much, yeah. um, who don't have 
health care insurance and other things. They're having to cover that themselves. How are they going to afford it? And so from your perspective, you're, you're looking into that, and I, I admire that. Uh, it's something I've worked on at the state level for years. Uh, as we've gone and talked about the educator shortage in California, we've worked with Lynn Darlingham and others to advocate for some relief for educators. Um, housing assistance, as you pointed out, mm -hmm. um, down payment assistance right. for educators. Uh, Zero percent loans for educators if they work in certain communities for five years, right, so they can afford to do that. Some districts have looked at um, housing, affordable housing for their educators. Tough in a community like this because there's not a lot of open space. Mm -hmm. So how do, you, how do you do that? But I think the interests are the same there as they are here. What I would also say is a city there, um, you remind me a lot of them in all the right ways. They continue to have conversations about how do we make sure that our families, every one of them, is engaged in and empowered in this community. Right. And that's what you're talking about. And, you know, from our end, we can work at the state level to try to help. And certainly, um, when we look at things like community schools, work in collaboration to make sure that those families have the supports they need. Housing is one thing. There are a lot of insecurities, uh, clothing insecurity, food insecurity to go along with housing insecurity. Um, and together, we can move the needle on those things. You know, it, it just occurred to me uh, that we have, as you pointed out, we're working on a first-time homebuyers uh, program at the city of Costa Mesa using uh, half, one half of the seven percent, so one fourteenth. See, I wasn't so bad at math. One fourteenth <laughs> of our tax tax revenue from cannabis. Uh, uh, and, and and so we're going to put that into a fund, a restricted fund, and we're, we're developing a program. And we've identified Costa Mesa residents and then students that grew up in Costa Mesa and went to either the public or the private schools. But one of the things, because it's a, it's a program that we have some flexibility with, mm -hmm. is what if we expanded that to teachers in Costa Mesa or or people who are in public service yeah. in Costa Mesa, our employees, for yeah. example. You know, It'd be a model a, program is what it would be, because yeah. that's what they're trying to find statewide. Right. Uh, they're looking for folks to figure that out, and you'd, you'd be one of the first. We'd be one of the first in the state to do something like that. Yeah, it'd be great to collaborate on that program. Yeah, yeah and uh, because that's definitely, I mean, how that's the... I think the most difficult nut to crack in in um, the social problems that we need to address uh, in government, both at, the, at, at you know the state level and at the district level and at the city level, is it the rent's just too high. That's right. Yeah. It's too expensive to buy a house. We're pricing families out of California. They're yeah. literally having to leave the state and end their relationships, their history because they can't afford to be here. Right. I mean, this, this is a destination location. I don't mean Orange County, I mean Costa Mesa. Yeah. It's a destination location. As such, it's hard to stay here. Yeah. Uh, so I really uh, just appreciate your efforts to, to make sure that those folks that want to stay here have that opportunity. Well, it's just a different world, too. Um, we were talking um, uh, in the lobby just earlier this morning about how when I moved to Costa Mesa, I would, and I, I, I bought a house at age 28. And then we had our ch our child. In 91, we moved into our house, and we had our first child in in 92. And he's 30 now. Mm. And to it's just 
unfathomable to think that yeah. a 28-year-old is going to buy yeah. a house in Mesa Del Mar now. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we're not going to get back. But, but I mean, that was not ancient history. I mean, that was 30 years ago. Right. And, and it, we may not be able to get back to that level of affordability, uh, but, uh, but we need to do better, for sure. Sure. It's that starfish analogy, right? Where the beach full of starfish, the little girls throwing one at a time back in. Someone comes by and says, you know, you can't save every starfish. And she says, that's right, but I just saved that one. Right, so what can we do? We yeah. can't be paralyzed by what we can't do. We have to figure out what it is we can do and make a difference for those individuals, those families, those aspects of our community. And that's actually a good segue to what I think I was going to comment on, which is that education in some ways is probably the the best access folks have for lower, lower income to move up on the ladder, right? I know when I was growing up, my, my parents were very stern about me, telling me, hey, your job is to go to school. Your job isn't to focus on like on parties. Your job isn't to like focus on work. Your job is to go to school. Because they knew that education is the biggest pathway to get a better career and get more opportunities in life. So I want to use that segue to go back to you and say, where are some things you've seen in your past few months here in, in our district that you think, hey, we're doing great in, and where are some things we can improve on? Yeah, I mean, you, so big topic, right? I mean, public education being um, the great equalizer. Uh, regardless of where you're born, which area code, how many parents you have, what language they speak, public education can be that thing that allows you to access all of your dreams and aspirations. That's a tall task. Certainly the quality of education is something that has to be addressed. There has to be a guarantee that every student in every school and every classroom has access to high quality instruction every day, right? Um, so and that, that's something that all districts are working on. There is no silver bullet. Um, you just have to, to focus on that high quality instruction every day with the resources they need. But then there are these other services too. I think this district does a great job with career pathways. I think Estancia High School is a great example of that. They're building trade pathway, what they do in the medical field. Um, those are our careers. Like I tell people, we had a gentleman come to a board meeting recently and said, not all kids need to go to college. I said, you're absolutely right. They don't. But the system shouldn't make that choice for them. We have to prepare all students to make the choices that they want to make. And if they choose a pathway like that, where they are employable and have great careers, right on, right? If they choose to go to college, to UCI mm -hmm. or another school, that they have that ability to go there as well. And so you know, the short answer is, I think we have some high quality things going on in the district. We're gonna to continue to work on that to make sure that we meet the needs of every kid. Like I say, uh, every child, every day, no excuses. Right? Yes. And that takes work, and that's a continuous improvement process. Yeah. You never get there, right? Because once you get there, you need to get a little bit better. Sure. Um, so that's what we're doing to make sure that, that we are that opportunity for students to realize their dreams. So I want, to talk, I want you to tell a story. Um, we, uh, Wes and I were recently at a, at a lunch uh, for... Um, Gosh, what was that for? I can't Leadership remember. Costa Mesa? Costa Mesa Leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And we both got a chance to speak. And, and uh, Wes talked about his background and what got him into education. 
and it was it's a very interesting and powerful story. We might touch some of your background as well, but tell the story about how you wanted to be a doctor and then how, how things changed for you in terms of what your aspirations were. Sure. Before I do, I have to say, at that event, and um, I was nervous coming in here because, you know, we've got a UCI grad. I wasn't smart enough to get in there. I was only smart enough to pay for my kid to go there, yeah. right, who's a third-year med school student now. And so, you know, there's that. And I heard you speak at that event, and I, I said at that event, I'll say it again here for anyone watching, um, you were the most articulate, uh, approachable mayor I'd ever seen. I've seen a lot of mayors speak. You were a natural up there at the mic. It doesn't surprise me at all that when you gave the eulogy, they said it was the best they'd ever heard. My I mean, mom's you, eulogy. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you have a gift, yeah. you know, for, for this. You know, for me, um, my story was different. I, I didn't stay in the same community, didn't have uh, my dad around. My mom, for most of my life, raised me by herself. And out of necessity, we moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I never attended the same school district, uh, you know, consecutively, grades consecutively, until eighth grade. Wow. And wow. one year, I moved around four times, four different schools in one year. So I didn't care about school. I didn't do my work. Um, I didn't believe in myself. Uh, and I had given up. But in each of these places, there was somebody who wouldn't give up on me, Mr. Moore, uh, my teacher in fourth grade in Woodland had guinea pigs and he let me come in and feed him at lunch and he would try to help me and he would give me some of his food at lunch because he saw that I didn't have food and I couldn't afford school lunch. And then when my mom pulled us out, because she had to that year, he gave me one of the guinea pigs mm -hmm. and said, I, I want you to have this to remember me. Um, people like that that just cared and cared more than I cared about myself. So I had a history of people caring about me in public education. I really wanted to be a quarterback in the NFL, right. truth be told, but there isn't much of a market for a five foot five slow guy with a pedestrian arm. Um, <laughs> and so that wasn't, that wasn't approachable. But because people had cared about me in the classroom and I had started to do well in high school, um, I could go to college and I went to college and said, I, you know, I want to be a doctor, I want to help people, I want to save lives, I want to make a difference. My grandmother said, where much is given, much is expected, and you've been given a lot, make a difference in the world. And I thought being a doctor would do that, so I was doing my medical studies, and four years in, getting ready for my MCAT, I was volunteering and scribing at an emergency room, and two young men came in um, on different days, and they had attempted to take their lives. Uh, and I'm in the, uh, the OR room and the ER, mm -hmm writing down notes, and both these men said the same thing, help me, save me. Uh, the doctors were able to save the first one, they couldn't save the second one. I drove home that night absolutely shaken to the core, thinking maybe the emergency room isn't the place to save lives. I looked back on where my life had been saved, and it wasn't the, mm -hmm. the operating room or the emergency room, it was a classroom. And so I got home and told my wife, uh, I, I want to be a teacher, and she famously said, you mean a teacher of a medical school after you've made a ton of money being a doctor? And I said, yeah, maybe, <laughs> right. or try this one on. What about a high school teacher next year? Because she's an amazing person and, and supports me um, and, and believes in me. She said, whatever you want to do is the right thing for us to do, let's do it. So I became a teacher wow. to save lives. And at every level, I thought, how do I save more? In a classroom as a high school teacher, I could save about 150. Uh, 30 kids a class, five classes a day. So I said, I want to save more, so I was a principal. Uh, 400 kids in my school first year, second principalship, 700 kids, first superintendency, 1,400 kids, second superintendency, we had 9,000, almost 10,000 students. 
at the state level, I was able to say, look, I want to go to the state level and try to make a difference for 6.2 million students because they're suffering right now. So for eight years, I tried that. But what I saw was a lot of folks fighting this fight right now during the pandemic, uh, the good fight for students, for their uh, well-being and outcomes, and they were struggling. And I thought, how dare I, with the experience I have, with the tools I have, sit on the sideline and encourage them, it's time to get back into the game. Mm -hmm. In this community, because of the similarity to Morgan Hill and the passion I have for meeting the diverse needs of diverse communities, and because I'd always wanted to be here, you know, we said it's time to get back into the game, and, and here's the place to do that. And I was blessed that they chose me, because they could have chosen lots of other folks. So honored and blessed to be here. But that's my why. That's what gets me up every day. Yeah, I want to talk about something kind of heavy. Yeah. Okay. At our last council meeting, we um, adjourned the council meeting uh, because uh, a student at Costa Mesa High School, uh, high school. Uh, died of a fentanyl overdose. Um, when, when our police chief, Ron Lawrence, who's been at, um, on the podcast, came from Northern California, Citrus Heights, he came to this area, and that's one of the things he noticed right away. You know, you come from a different place. And, you know, when you're in the place, you don't know the difference. You have no basis of comparison. You come in from another area, you go, wait a minute, way too many people are dying of fentanyl overdoses in the city of Costa Mesa. You know, you come from, you come into the, um, the district and you see that issue as well. So what can we do together as the city uh, and as the district to try to address this issue because too many of our kids are dying. Yeah, yeah. Our, um, that, that's a great point and there is uh, no greater tragedy for me as a superintendent and I suspect you feel similarly than the loss of life of a young person unnecessarily. No life is necessarily lost but, but those tragic things, um, they, they change your life, right? Mm -hmm. So our board has a priority for meeting and expanding the whole child needs. And this is a topic where we as a community have to lean in, okay? Uh, if we think we're providing an appropriate education for students because we focus on the core subjects, then we don't understand education, right? They talk about Maslow over Bloom, right? But you can't get to the higher order thinking skills until you address their basic human needs, mm -hmm. their physiological needs, mm -hmm. their safety needs, et cetera. Those have to be met first. Right. right? You have to create those relationships. And they have students. to be alive. Right? right, right. So you have to be able to, to meet those needs to get to the other things. And so work that we can do, we're working right now to, to build out some community school programs mm -hmm. where we have on our campuses um, uh, resources, a collective of resources, things that address certainly uh, housing and food insecurities, but also counseling services. So right. if our stu students need to talk to someone, they can come in and talk to an expert. Um, if our adults need to talk to someone, they can come in. We know that we have students who pass, as you identified. Mm -hmm. There was an administrator in this county this year that took his life on campus because of the stress that he's under. Right? Adults also are traumatized, especially now, they need a place. So I think community partnerships where we pool our resources and say, if our students need to talk to someone, if they need a safe place, 
uh, it can be there. And then creating those relationships. One of the themes for uh, our district next year is going to be, uh, it's all about the relationships. Relationships between the board and the superintendent, the superintendent and the cabinet, the cabinet and the schools, the, the offices and the classroom, the teacher and the student, the teacher and the home, right? It's all about those relationships. When we have those relationships, students might speak up and say, I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I'm struggling with addiction. And then we have a, a door, right. right? A door of opportunity is opened. Yeah. Without those relationships, we don't have enough of those. So I think, again, um, working together on things like the community school model, but other things, whatever we can do to promote these positive relationships and wraparound supports for our students. There's this great quote, kids don't know, or rather, kids don't care what you know till they know that you care. Yeah. Oh, right? okay. So how do we, how do we let these, these students know that, and you're important, right? We care about you. Uh, and as such, we're gonna provide what you need. And it's probably more than just English, math, science. Yeah. Right, you're gonna need something else, and we're there for that as well. And together, you know, we, we can make some inroads. And I got to tell you, uh, the the police department here, the force in Costa Mesa, awesome. Uh, I'm in constant communication with your chief. He's an amazing leader. He's a great guy. He's a he? great yeah. communicator. He'll reach out and say, Wes, I just want you to know something's up. Let me know if you need help. Just last week, we had something we needed to work on together. Mm -hmm. uh, late in the afternoon, we were, we were going back and forth. Hey, how do we want to do this? And let's make sure that whatever we do doesn't get in your way. Let's work together. That doesn't happen in every community, but it's happening here. So I just wanted to compliment you and, and your team. Well, I mean, you know, it, and it, it's, we, we hired, as a council, we hired Lori Ann Farrell Harrison, mm -hmm. who I know you have a relationship yep. with as well. And uh, then she, the way it works is we, you know, we don't hire the police chief. The count, the council does it. The yeah. city manager does. And she made a really, I think, fine choice there because um, you mentioned at a recent meeting how uh, our police chief ha doesn't have a defensive bone in his body. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, he just whatever information he gets, he just takes it in and says, "Okay, can we be improving? How can we help?" And whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so yeah, he is he is great. Jim. You know, the, the other thing is, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, I find, and you know, in public service, but also in my job as a lawyer, I find like the greatest gift that you can give to somebody is to reveal your pain to them mm -hmm. and your vulnerability and give them an opportunity to help you. And, and uh, that's kind of what you, you're talking about. You know, right. like, I don't want to hear about how great the city is doing. I don't want to hear the compliments necessarily. I want to hear the pain so we can address that pain and make the city better. Um, but in, as a, as a, um, in this day and age with Instagram and, and not as much kids are on Facebook, I guess TikTok, right. you know, right. all, right. all, all, all the people are on Facebook, yeah, yeah, that's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instagram, TikTok, everybody. Everybody's Facebook's for pickleball. Yeah, exactly. That's follow the pickleball leads. Yeah, yeah. Every, yeah they're not on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's having a great time. It seems like everybody's living their best life, yeah. you know, and and uh, the, that happened while you've been in in yeah. in, uh, in, in uh, education. How has the uh, how has social media affected the your job and the and the students that you see today as opposed to the pre pre social media days? Yeah, you know, let's start with some of the positive that, that now students are connected globally. They can learn 
from other students across the globe, mm -hmm. right? By definition. Right. Um, that's a powerful thing to learn about culture and art and all these amazing things that they could only see in a book before or see on a static uh, web page, if you will. Um, so it's connecting folks, uh, social groups. Uh, things are changing these days. Mm -hmm. um, In-person social groups uh, aren't as popular as they once were because we can do them virtually now uh, and not travel and not be on the 405 for you know, an hour to go five miles to attend a meeting. Yeah. So there are benefits, but there are also challenges. Uh, they have access to information instantaneously. But is that information credible? Hmm. Right? So they're seeing information and struggling to identify what is true, what is accurate. We live in a hyper-politicized world right now. So often their lens right, is skewed by the bias of their families. So, so they struggle even more then to identify what is accurate. Because what is accurate is sometimes being determined by what's on the TV channel, mm. yeah, right? right? Who is the pundit speaking to that accuracy, which makes it a challenge. And then I think the thing that, that uh, is a real struggle that's different now, two things. One is comparison. Yes. Students are comparing themselves to people that are in, uh, you know, Tahiti on a vacation and lodging over the water and they're thinking, I've never been to the beach. Yes. Right? What's wrong with me? Or the people that have these glam shots and they're saying, I don't have those clothes, I can't afford to do my hair like that. So they suffer with this comparison and that's problematic. Um, it's, it's, um, it's also a challenge that they're never disconnected. It's a 24-7 tether to stress and distress. Yes. Right? They don't shut it off. And, and that's why we talk to, to families and students and even our adults and say, You've got to disconnect and engage. There is this balance or this mindfulness strategy called disconnect and engage. And there are you know, corporations across the globe, really, that, that not only prioritize that, they enforce it. Tech-free meetings, for example. No emails or texts after 8 o'clock at night, none on the weekend. If it's an emergency, pick up the phone and call me. Right? Then I'll pick that up and we'll deal with it. But turning off your device, if you will, or putting it away where you can't see it, Mm -hmm. and engaging yourself in, in quiet if you need, engaging your environment, look around. Right. How many times have we sat in this room, you sat in this room, and, and never looked at the plant per se, right. right? We're not engaging our environment, and then we're not engaging our loved ones. You, you see families these days, they're sitting in a room, there's a TV on, everyone has a device, no one's looking at one another, and if someone brings something up, people will respond to that person, but you say, what did they ask you? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. But you answered, right? Because we've been taught now, we've been trained by these devices to pretend to engage, but to meaningfully disconnect and engage. And I think, you know, any effort that we can do community-wide to, to promote that. I mean, I, 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 you know, tease about pickleball. Activities like that as a family, getting sure. out, doing something without technology is huge. Pickleball's great. It you is know, amazing. It's coming to Costa Mesa. We're going to put a, a pickleball court at... Uh, at Tanager Park, that's in uh, coming up pretty yeah. soon, right? No, we're excited for that. And and uh, <laughs> then we're gonna we're we're completely redoing our tennis center, so oh. we're gonna put some pickleball courts there. That's that's over um, at uh, uh, T Winkle Park area, you know, right yeah. right right yeah. off of Hunipero. Um And then uh, um, you know, my hope is that we can have 
pickleball in places where it's accessible all throughout the city. But the tough part about pickleball, though, Wes, is bang, 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 that noise. We've got to be really sensitive to, yeah. to the neighbors. Well, know? it seems to me it's not as loud as when they're crushing a tennis ball. Um, but there's still a noise. I, I would think in our community, and maybe this is something that we can do even in schools, is um, you know, access to the equipment. Yeah. Right, so that everyone you know can play. I think that's a great family activity, as I was saying, for all families, right? To get out there, it's something where it's um, it's cardio, but you don't have to run as far as tennis. And that's why yeah. we see a lot of folks my age turning to yeah. pickleball. Well, I was going to say the mayor and I joined us with our Foley and, and one of John's one of John's friends right. and uh, a, a exhibition game for pickleball, and I think uh. we both came in. I don't know the rules too much. You know how to play very well, but we had fun. That's the first time I played with yeah. Manuel. We had a blast. Yeah. yeah. So we're. I think Laurieann and I should challenge you guys. <laughs> you should. Actually. That's what we should do. The four of us well, should I'm get out there. That. And, you, and yeah. you know, you know what, what you should do too, Wes, is because Manuel and I played pickleball together, but we were also a cornhole team. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and at uh, what was that a couple years ago? That for was the, at the um, OC Fairgrounds, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So on the on the twenty second. There's a cornhole tournament over at Kenwood's uh, to support uh, Jerry Hildebrand, who's a, a, a police officer who's very ill. So, okay. so the police department is doing that. So that should be a fun tournament. So it's 22nd over at Kenwood's. Who uh, who needs a partner? Yeah, I, well, I, I, I love <laughs> I love cornhole. Yeah, I, that's that. I I haven't done pickleball in years and years. I do cornhole a little bit. You know, that would be fun. It's fun activities to do. But I, I do want to um, yeah. loop back because you have so many good comments. It's hard to choose which path to follow. But um, speaking to young people in my district, the, the thing they always mention is mental health. Mm. Mental health is something they feel that's lacking. I know I toured um, Christmas High School with you and the principal and I to Foley about a month ago when we toured the wellness center yep. at the high school. Can you please elaborate for the public like what you're doing in the district with those centers and what the goal yeah. is? Yeah. And when I mention community schools, that's not different than uh, community school is the comprehensive model, right? Where you have uh, an array of services available to not just the school, but the community, right? Um, again, things like uh, counseling services, professional counseling services, a quiet space for folks. If they're just feeling overwhelmed at that wellness center, they have a garden. And if students are just feeling overwhelmed or adults are feeling overwhelmed, then come into this garden. Things do a little bit of work, right? A lot of us do that intuitively, mm -hmm. right? Things are on our minds. We want to use our hands. We just want to go be quiet and do something. But then, again, there are also multiple counselors there, um, you know, provided by Project Hope Alliance and then some other staff, right, a community mm -hmm. uh, ally there. We intend to have wellness centers at uh, every one of our campuses. That's, that's the vision. Every campus to have that, that location where students can access mental health services. We also have um, an array of mental health services on top of that, right, where we don't have wellness centers and where we do. You know, counselors at every elementary school now. Um, we have a half-time counselor at every single uh, elementary school. Wow. That's been unheard of in the districts that I've been in before they might have one or two counselors um, and they certainly can't serve all the schools on a daily basis. Um, so you know the district, we understand that's important. That's why our board um, so insightfully said, hey, we've got to prioritize 
whole child supports, mental health being one of those, one of those things. Um, but there, again, there are a lot of these insecurities that folks have. Housing is one of them. You know, I heard a story when I was visiting the Melinda Hogue Center mm -hmm. that they had a family there they were caring for. And the person said to me, uh, you realize this is not a socioeconomic thing or a, a race thing, a language thing. It's just a thing, mm -hmm. right? This woman uh, and her family, the husband decided that he liked someone else more and left and froze them out of all their accounts. They have nothing mm. but the clothes on their back, changed the locks to the door. Wow. wow. And they showed up here. Yeah. This is a person that just didn't have access to anything. Yeah. And so this center is trying to find, you know, housing and food and, and jobs and, and school support, all of that. And uh, I think that's the model for all of us, right? Where we have needs in our community. We, we work together to meet those needs. And there are lots of examples like that. But Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that closes out our fourth volume of Costa Mesa Now. Thank you, Dr. Wesley Smith. Thank you, Councilmember Manuel Chavez of District 4, the most lovable council member in the history of Costa Mesa. <laughs> and uh, I hope you enjoy uh, what we've done here on Costa Mesa Now. <laughs>